0: Yeah, let's study God's Word together. So today I want to talk to you about um, home. I've already mentioned that before, but I want you to think through a, a lens with me this morning. And here's the question that I want to ask you. Have you ever been homesick? Think of a time, if you will, with me when you just got homesick and you wanted to make it home. Let me share a couple of those moments for me. I'll never forget when I was a freshman in high school and I would just been called of God to to give my life in service vocationally in ministry, my the pastor of my church uh, said, hey, if, if you're called, why don't you just go spend a summer in France as a youth missionary? And so the summer of my uh, the, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I went to France as just a, you know, 13, 14 year old. And for that entire summer I gave my my summer to the Lord in mission and ministry. We were building homes for the homeless. And I, in that place, I learned how to start spending my daily time with God in the morning. And I learned how to start memorizing scripture. But I got to tell you, a teenager on the other side of the world, it didn't take long for me to realize I miss my mama, you know. And, and those of you who are moms, y'all can appreciate it. All of us can probably appreciate it. But you know what they wouldn't allow us to do? Couldn't call home. Couldn't call home. So for the entire summer, and that was back before the days of cell phones, right? For the entire summer, I was without my family in a foreign country. And I'll never forget just going to bed in a foreign country, in a foreign environment and thinking, I am so far away from home. And there was something deep inside of me that just wanted to go home, but also knew that I was where I needed to be at that moment. There was there was been some other moments where I I got homesick. You know, I remember being off to college and and being homesick. Sometimes you just, you just, you, you want to be with your family, and you know you just you're not with them, and something inside you just is aching to be with your family. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this kind of homesick, but I've also had homesick where I was sick of my family. You ever been there before? Now, I remember one time, took my family off, and we went off to Christmas. And, um, and, and we were there with my family. I'm from Augusta, Georgia. We were there with my family. And then it snowed, and we were stuck with my family. And, um, and Christmas seemed to last far more than a day. And it seemed like it was going into weeks. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm ready to get home. You know what I mean? I was so ready to get home. And sometimes we can have our own kind of homesick of family. Hey, how about you? I want to invite you for just a minute to think about a time where you were homesick, and I want to invite you maybe just to turn to your neighbor and tell them that time for a second, all right? Think back to a moment where you got homesick. Take just a minute. Share that story, quick story, about how you might have got homesick one time. You know, one time Jesus was teaching, and... um, Jesus sometimes spoke in different ways, and he taught in different ways. But one of the things we believe is that Jesus was a master teacher. Jesus knew the kingdom of God. And one of the things that Jesus was trying to help people like you and me do or understand what the kingdom of God is really about. You know, we kind of understand how this kingdom works, how this world works. And Jesus was trying to say, hey, here's what the kingdom is like. Now, sometimes he did that through um, ways of sharing life or through teaching points or or maybe uh, with metaphors, you know, Jesus would take something as simple as a seed or a child, and with those metaphors or those images, he would say, now, this is what the kingdom of God is like. But sometimes Jesus did it a different way, and and I got to tell you, there's been no preacher that's ever walked the planet who did this as well as Jesus. Jesus would tell stories, and in Jesus' stories, which we call parables, in Jesus' stories, he would begin to tell a story and people would begin to enter into that story, feel what happened in that story. Oftentimes, they would kind of understand the different characters or the subjects of the story. And they would, many of them would begin to say, hey, where's he going with this? And what, he, what is he trying to show us? And in, in one of Jesus' stories, and it's over the next three weeks, I'm going to talk about these stories that Jesus told. In one of Jesus' stories, he talked about a boy who got homesick. Now, this story... Out of all the stories that Jesus told, this has become one of the most popular of all the stories. And it's even got its own name. You know, you've probably heard it before. The prodigal child, the prodigal son. Uh, This story is about uh, a man whose son came to him and said, Hey, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want my freedom. I'm out of here and left town, only to then get away and get homesick. If you have your Bible or if you have your, your iPad or your iPhone with you or whatever you're studying God's Word with today, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. And before we read the Scripture this morning, I just want to point out something I think is very interesting and maybe even be more fodder for you to want to study God's Word this week. In Luke chapter 15, if you open up your Bible there, you'll notice that there are actually three stories there. Three stories, and they're all quite similar. In every one of the stories, somebody has lost something. So in the first story, Jesus said, hey, there was a shepherd. He had a hundred sheep and he lost one. Maybe you'd read about that story. In the second story, Jesus said, there was a woman and she had ten coins and she lost one. Maybe you want to read that story. And the one we're going to stay this morning, there was, there was a father who had two sons and he lost one because that son said he wanted to go away. And one of the beautiful things about Luke chapter 14 I'm sorry, Luke chapter 15, is that in those three stories, Jesus is trying to help people understand, people like you, people like me. He's trying to help them understand, crazy enough, this might sound weird to some of you, that God has some lost things out there and that God's searching for some lost things. We know those things to be God's people, but if you read those three different stories, you'll see kind of how God thinks about his lost things and what happens when some of his lost things are found. We're going to study one of those stories today. So Jesus began in this third story, Luke chapter 15. And as he told this story, these are the words he said. Now, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, you might want to underline that in your notes, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And if you were hearing this story for the very first time, you would know, you, you would kind of assume that the, that the boy that Jesus is talking about is a Jewish boy. And so understanding the context to this story, this is a Jewish dad with two Jewish sons, and a Jewish, one of the Jewish sons comes to him and says, hey, dad, I want my estate. I want to go my way. And all of a sudden, you get to this point in the story, and if you're a good Jew and you're listening to this story about the kingdom of God, you start thinking to yourself, man, this is about as low as it gets for a good Jewish boy. I mean, he spent everything he had. A severe famine hits the land. He asks somebody for a job, and what does he end up doing? He's feeding pigs, right? Which is not necessarily the most kosher thing for Jews, right? Now, follow the rest of the story for a minute. He's feeding those pigs, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. I'm going to pause that story right there, and we're going to come back to it because one of the great privileges I get is I get a chance this morning to pull out this beautiful gem of a story that Jesus told followers about God and about God's kingdom, and we get to break it down together. You know, if you were there that day, you'd listen to Jesus tell that story, and you might walk off with your neighbor, and you'd be talking about the story as you walk back to your house, and you'd be breaking it down a little bit together. Well, that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, think about this boy. This boy went to his dad, and he said, hey, dad. I appreciate the home you built for me, but I'm really ready for the bigger world. I'm ready to go my way. By the way, that's every one of us do that at some point in our life, right? We want to get out from under mom and daddy. We want to go our own way. And that's what this boy does. He said, dad, give me my fair share and let me go. And so he goes his way and the Bible says he goes out and he just does the wild thing. All right. You with me? He does the wild. He does his wild thing. All right. And I know a lot of, this is, this, is a, this is a story that a lot of people can say, hey, that's my story. I went out and did my, my wild thing. And he got so far away from who his dad was and who his family was and what his home life was like, he got so far away from the way he had lived originally that all of a sudden life broke down for him. He was so far away from home and maybe more importantly His home was so far away from him and his spirit. You know, for me, I read this story. I don't know about you. Sometimes it's just so helpful to put myself in the story. I'll never forget when I graduated high school, I only applied to one university. I wanted to go to one university, and so I applied to one place. I wanted to go to the University of Georgia. And I applied there, and I got accepted there, and I knew I was going to be sitting in the stands watching the football games and in and the Coliseum. And, and so when I went off to Georgia, hey, let me tell you, I was a Christ follower, and I was already called vocationally. I knew for the rest of my life, full time, that I would serve in ministry. And so I sat down as a high school senior, and I, I wrote down on a piece of paper. No, I, this is uh, so foolish. But I wrote down a piece of paper. I wrote down, I wrote down, Now this is what I'm going to do. And I just started writing down the things. I was, I'm was. i only going to date these kind of girls. And I'm going to, you know, and I, I had my plan, right? And, I, and, I, and part of my plan was so good. I mean, I, I was praying about asking God to give me some strong Christian friends. And I was praying about the kind of people I would hang out with. I was praying about how I would give myself to my academics. I had a piece of paper and I had my plan, you know. And then I went off to Georgia. Yeah, Athens. <laughs> Athens. Now, there are some godly things that happen in Athens, but not everything that... Yes, it is, George. Somebody's shaking their head. No, there's not. Yeah, there really are some godly things that happen in Athens, Georgia. But I'll tell you, I moved into my dorm right there on Baxter, Lipskin. Lipskin was the name of my dorm. I moved in, and I'll never forget the first four weeks of school. I, I, day in day, I would get up and I'd get my Bible and I'd read my Bible every morning, get on my knees next to my bed, I'd pray, I'd go to my classes. For the first four weeks of school, I didn't meet what I could tell was one Christ follower. I didn't get invited to any Bible study. I went to the BSU, I went to the Wesley Foundation, and I didn't, I just, I just felt so distant. I felt like everybody already had their friends. I felt like I didn't have a place. And I felt like the only invitations to friendship that I was getting were invitations to keg parties and go over here and to do that. And, and you know what I did? Not like this kid. This kid in this story, he said, hey dad, I appreciate you, but I don't appreciate you. I'm out of here. For this kid right here, I didn't even realize it, but I moved into, you've heard me talk about this before, I moved into what I call the drift. And I just began to drift away from every way that I'd been raised, from everything I knew about faith. I began to drift away from all the things I had written down that I was going to do. I just began to drift. And and what started out like white-hot passion on my knees with my Bible just kind of got cold. And I just just remember further and further away, started dating somebody I shouldn't start dating, further and further away. And I just, guys, I didn't even realize it, but not like this guy, I ended up doing the wild thing. I ended up doing my own wild thing. Now, my wild thing might not look like your wild thing, but here's what you need to know about any of our wild things. My wild thing was vastly different from the way that I'd been taught, vastly different from the faith I had received, vastly different from the love and the grace that had been poured over my life, vastly different from, from all the forgiveness. It was a, a, lo- a far, far away. And, and I got so far away from home. You know what I mean? I was in Athens, still living in the same dorm. I got so, so far away from God, God, that God had to get my attention. By the way, did you know that? Did you know that? Uh, Get your pen. Why don't you write down? This is the first thing I want to share with you today. God is always working behind the scenes to get our attention. (laughs) <laughs> he, he doesn't ever look at you or me and go, you know, I'm just going to let that one go. I'm not going to worry about them. i let them do their thing. That's not the way our God is. If he has a hundred sheep, he cares about every one of the hundred sheep. If he has ten coins, he cares about every one of the ten coins. If he has two boys, he cares about them both. He's not willing to let one go and say, I'm just going to let them go do their thing. I'm going to give up on that one. Here's what God does. God always is working behind the scenes to get our attention. Are you serious, Stephen? Absolutely. Even when I'm going my way? Absolutely. Even when I'm on the drift? Absolutely. God knows who you are. He knows your name. He knows the purposes he made you. He knows your destiny. And more than that, he knows your heart. He knows your heart. And when you're pulling away, and when you're distancing, he he's not like he's not aware. He knows He knows the very place where you are today. I'm not talking about the chair. I'm not talking about the city. I'm talking about the place of your soul. He knows that today. He's that big of a God. He's that good of a God. And you may not even realize it, but he's been working behind the scenes to get your attention all of your life. And this is the way your life will always be. All of your life, God will be working behind the scenes to get your attention you know, some of you guys are here today because somebody said, hey, would you come and go with me to church for having a grand opening? You said, all right, yeah, sure. Yeah, you got cake, food? Yeah, I'm there. Okay. And you came, and you, And guess what? God's getting your attention today. Some of you guys, uh, you might have got a little card in the mail. How cool is that, right? You might have got a card in the mail in your post office box said, hey, United Methodist Church having a grand opening here? That sounds kind of cool. Maybe I was raised in a Methodist church, or maybe I'd just like to go see a new church, and maybe that was one of the – and you didn't even realize it. You didn't even realize it, but God was working behind the scenes to get your attention, and that's why you're sitting here today. Let me tell you, every one of us in this place today, God works behind the scenes to get your attention. Now, here's one of the things I've noticed. He does it a thousand different ways, the way he gets our attention. You ever been riding down the road before, and you're just doing your thing, and all of a sudden, a song came on the radio, and all of a sudden, God, you know, and all of a sudden, God came on the radar for you, and all of a sudden, he got your attention, this is, the, the God, God can use anything he wants at any time in the world, in any way to get your attention. It can be a sign, billboard, driving down the road. It can be a friend who puts his finger in your chest. We'll talk about that in a few minutes and says, hey, what are you doing with your life? God can use a thousand different ways to get our attention. As a freshman at the University of Georgia, I'll never forget I was had I'd, I'd followed a lot of Christian music. I was living so far in those first few months away from God. And I'll never forget, I was with a bunch of friends. I was with a bunch of my friends. We were just doing friend stuff. We were actually going out to eat together. And I got in the back seat of somebody's car, and they put on a song. And it was a song that had drawn me so close to God. The opening of the song was not even like a guitar strum or not like a piano. It was a singular bell. And they rung... They had, a bell rung, and I was sitting in the back seat, and it was as if God said, hey, when you coming home, when you, and I can't tell you, I just broke down, I broke down. I mean, they were like, what is going on with Stephen? You know, and I mean, just cheers. And I was like, I knew I was far away from my home. I knew I was far away from God. And all of a sudden, it was like, my daddy said, Time you made it home, boy. And I said, I gotta get out of this car. I just got out of the car and I just I just went went to a local church, opened up the doors, walked straight into the altar, fell on my knees and talked to God, cried out to God for hours. See, with a bell, a song, a sign, a friend, God can get your attention anyway. You got your pen, I want to tell you three three ways I've noticed. And by the way, this is kind of this boy's story we're gonna study today three ways kind of categorically that I know God gets our attention sometimes. And the first one is this, write this one down. When God's working behind the scenes, sometimes he will allow a crisis to come into your life that will actually get your attention that otherwise you wouldn't give him your attention. Now, have you ever noticed sometimes that when life is going really well, then you don't really, sometimes you don't listen to God nearly as much or you don't pray as much. But sometimes God allows a crisis to come into your life he doesn't cause the crisis. He doesn't say, hey, how about this one, you know, a tornado. That's not the way God works, okay? But what God does do is sometimes he will allow a crisis to come into your life and into my life, and all of a sudden it, it makes you realize that you, you aren't quite in control like you thought you were. You know, for this boy, he... he He evidently didn't do the math, right? I mean, he was spending and spending and spending, and then finally reached back into his back pocket or wherever, you know, his robe, and and he pulled out whatever his wallet looked like. He said, I'm broke, you know, and all of a sudden, no more money. You know, Dad ain't sending a check either, and there ain't no way to wire money, you know. I mean, he is broke, and all of a sudden, he doesn't have food. That's his crisis, I wonder, I wonder what kind of crisis. Just think over your life for a minute. Some of you guys are going to think about things that have happened to you where God was trying to get your attention, and you go, man, did he get my attention with that thing? And others of us might think about crises that are going on in our life right now, and, and I would invite you to say, God, are you trying to get my attention by what's going on in my world right now? Listen, as a pastor, I see it all the time. I see breakups in relationships. I see boyfriends and girlfriends, and all of a sudden those crises happen, and they and, and hearts are vulnerable, and, and are those people, those girls and boys, are or, or those young men and women, are they even open to the fact that maybe God's doing something right now that's bigger than that little relationship? Maybe he's trying to get their attention. I see people lose jobs or change jobs. I see people go through hardship in and, and those kind of crises. Just this past week, I, I saw two families, two different families in our church experience the death of a loved one, the unexpected death of a loved one for both those families. Stood with one of them right there in their own funeral services, you know, doing their funerals for them this week. And in those moments, you know, in every one of those moments when I'm doing a funeral, I'm thinking to myself, God wants everybody in this place to give us his full attention in this moment right now. You know, there's all kind of crises that are going to happen in your life. You're going to, you're going to fail. You're going to, have, you're going to experience failure. It might be failure in your school. It might be failure in your job. It might be failure in a relationship. There's all kind of crises that are going to come into your life and whenever you have a hard moment, you know, you don't know how to pay the bills. You know, maybe like this guy, you run out of money. In those moments, I would I would invite you to realize that God is always working behind the scenes to get your and, and my attention. And he uses these things like crises sometimes just to say, hey, 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 I'm here. Now, I know you think you're in control of everything, and I know you think you know how life operates, but listen, I'm going to allow this to happen to you so you realize there's only one who's in control. There's only one who's king. There's only one who's Lord. Do I have your attention? Are you with me? And sometimes when those crises hit, they're a wake-up call for us because we realize, man, we've been drifting, or we're further away from home, or we're way away from home and we didn't realize it. Certainly, what happened to this boy? Notice this he runs out of money, but that's not enough for Jesus, the master teacher. He throws something else in there. He says, and a severe famine hit. Okay, the word NIV calls it a severe, some, some translations say a great famine hit. Okay, now raise your hand if you know what it's like to be hungry. Really hungry? You ever experienced a famine? Oh, 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 that's right, we're Americans. That's right, yeah, 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 yeah. You see, we don't really know what famine is doing. I mean, we got Publix, we got Kroger, we got food coming and going. Now, now, some of you guys, y'all live, some of you guys right here, honestly, you live during the Great Depression, so you actually know a lot more about what it's like to have a famine or, or to live through a very hard time where it was hard to come by food. But by and large, most of us in this room, we might know what it's like to be hungry, but we don't know what it's like to really be hungry. We don't know what it's like to really experience a famine. Jesus is telling this story. Listen, listen, get this. He's telling this story, and the people he's telling this story to, every bloomin' one of them knows what a famine is really like. They know what it's like when they run out of food. They know what it's like to go a long period, and there ain't no food coming in. And and you know what? Red Cross ain't going to ship a helicopter in and drop food over our village. They know what, and when they hear Jesus say, this boy ran out of money, and then a famine hit, they know what Jesus means in this moment. Now. Let me, in their... When a famine hit in that society, just like a famine would hit in Africa, when a true famine hits and the ground won't produce and food ain't coming that way, let me tell you, life's gonna get bad. Crime rates are gonna rise. People are gonna get killed. Theft's gonna start happening. It's going. Life's gonna get bad, and that's what happened to this boy. Another way, right? Write this down. Another way that God gets our attention is is to what some folks might call. Um, Let's, let's skip one. Let's do catastrophe. Catastrophe. A severe famine. Catastrophe. Now, Stephen, what does that look like, a catastrophe? A catastrophe is when you got a crisis, and a crisis is a, is a rough moment, is, is, you know, two wheels off the road, and, and life's kind of bumping along, you know, and what's happening here, and, and God's getting your attention. But a catastrophe is four wheels off the road. The car is in the ditch and trees are flying by. You know, that's what a catastrophe looks like, okay? A catastrophe is a bankruptcy. A catastrophe is a divorce and life is crumbling at, around your ankles. A catastrophe is when you, 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 you start to lose hope. You don't know what's happening. You're worried about your life. You're worried about how you're going to live tomorrow. A catastrophe is a rough, rough place. And God will allow catastrophes to happen, too. God will allow, all of a sudden, everything that is, you have controlled in your little world to come crumbling down. I like to think of it this way. You ever seen those houses that are built on stilts? You ever seen them at the beach? There are moments in life where God allows Satan and the evil forces and the wicked forces of a fallen world to come right up to our beautiful little house on stilts and then say, I'm knocking out the bottom of it. And all of a sudden, everything that holds up your nice little world is falling down. Some of you guys in this room, you have have really experienced a catastrophe. Your loss has been great. And in some of our worlds, it was that moment God got your attention. But for some of us, we still don't realize that's how God's trying to get our attention. For this boy, when a severe famine hit, he had been a pretty well-off boy, and he had a pretty good inheritance. Now he'd spent everything he had. And now he didn't have anything to eat, he didn't have anything to do, right? And then all of a sudden, he finds himself getting a little job feeding pigs, and he's looking at the food that the pigs are eating, the pods the pigs are eating, and he's thinking to himself, that looks good to me, I'm so hungry. Write this one down. Another way that I've noticed that God sometimes come in, comes in and gets our attention is through all what I would call confrontation. Confrontation is when we are just kind of eyeball to eyeball with a reality that we are in a broken place that we need fixing, that we need help. And this moment where this boy's looking at pig slop, that's what he's looking at. He's looking at pig nasty food, and he's saying to himself, that looks good to me. This is a moment, a, a, a reality check for him. This is a moment where he's, he's going, this is so far away from who I am and what my home looks like. I mean, the Bible even says that Jesus, Jesus, in the rest of the story, Jesus starts talking about what starts, he starts playing these records in his mind. You know, he starts thinking about the people who live back at his dad's house, even the servants, they're eating better food than this. And all of a sudden, he starts playing these tapes of what his life ought to look like, but what it does look like. And did you know that sometimes you're going to have moments like this in life where you're so confronted by the reality of, of your drift or how far you've moved away from your home, your spiritual home, your place with God, that that all of a sudden your eyes are really open and you can finally see, you're confronted with a a new reality. And by the way, sometimes that's, you know, it's something as, it's kind of a picture story of what Jesus has given of of a boy looking at pig slop, but sometimes it is actually somebody coming and putting their finger in your chest and saying, what are you doing? You know, I'll never forget... um, one of the dearest people in my world who did that for me, my mama. My mama, not in a loving way, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> not in a judgmental way, but in a very loving way, but also a very stern way in a very biblical way. My mom came to me one time, and she did She did what she, I guess mamas know what will work sometimes. She was brilliant. She came to me one time, and she said, you have so much talent. You have so much going for you, and you are blowing it. And she just painted a picture of me. And the way I was choosing, what I was choosing to do, the lack of discipline in my life, all these, she painted a picture for me, and she said, I'm sad for you. I'm sad for you because God gave you so much. And you're just flushing it on the toilet. And it was a reality check, confrontation. Put that word up there for me, if you will, Tom. It was a confrontation where I had to go, you know what, wow, is she right? And another friend of mine, a guy that I go to all the University of Georgia football games with, you know, one of my, a guy who was my youth pastor who, who has been a long-time friend of mine, one time he just came to me and he sat down with me, and, and, and this was his way. He didn't put his finger in my chest like my mom did. You know what he did? He came to me and he said, can I talk with you? And I said, yeah. And he couldn't talk. He just started crying. And he said, I said, I was sitting there like, what's happening? And he was like, as he tried to get it out, he just said, I love you. I love you. And you just, I just hate that you're going so far away from God. He was broken in his spirit that I was not broken in mine. It hurt his heart how far away I was, that I was so far from my father, my heart wasn't hurting at all. And all of a sudden, through my friend's tears, I started seeing my father's tears. And I was confronted with the reality that I was living far away from my daddy God. You know, sometimes it's through confrontation with other folks who just come to us and say, listen, I love you so much. I want so much more for you of your God relationship. And I'm so thankful for the folks in my life that have done that for me. I'm also thankful for the moments, listen, where I had crises or catastrophes in my world and God got my attention. God said, hey, listen, I have a big plan for you. I love you. Don't go this self-destructive Way. And so here's the deal. Let me tell you the rest of the story. What happens to this boy? The Bible says, um, when he came to his senses, he's sitting there looking at the pig slop. The Bible says, when he came to his senses, he said to himself, He said, How many of my father's hired servants have food (laughs) to spare? They're not even going to eat it tonight. How many of them have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm going to set out and I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he got up, the Bible says, so he got up and he went to his father. I like to think of it this way. He got up and he went home got up and he went home. But while, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. might want to underline that. His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. I got to just stop for a minute. See, what Jesus is doing is he's giving a picture of who God is. When God's got a 100 and he loses one, when he gets the one back, I mean, he's so excited because he loves that one he lost. When God's got 10, those 10 coins, and he loses one, he's going to search everywhere he can. He's going to find that 10th coin. When God's got two sons, one of them goes off his own way. When he finally sees that son coming home, the Bible says the father runs to him with compassion in his heart. And, you know, I have to ask myself, why didn't that boy go home sooner? (laughs) Is <laughs> it just that he needed his eyes opened up? And I think one of the answers to that question is he was fearful. I mean, you ever been afraid you messed up so bad you was afraid to go back? You know? I, let me tell you about me. I have, when I was growing up, I had a supernatural ability to make my mom and daddy mad. I don't know about you. I did. And, and let me tell I mean, I, I just was talented at it. I could make my mom and daddy so mad at me. And they would say things all the time that probably your mamas and daddies never actually had to say, Right? I mean they would say things like, um, if I've told you once You mean your parents said that too? They would say, you know, I remember my mama saying, if Joe goes and jumps off a bridge, your mamas and daddies said that too. How about this one? This, this is my mama's favorite. You just wait till your Whoa, we're there. It's all of us, ain't it? Evidently, all of us had a supernatural ability to make our mamas and daddies mad, right? My favorite of all time. I brought you into the world. (laughs) That's right. So if all of us made our mamas and daddies mad, then we all know what it's like to be afraid to go home to mama and daddy, right? And so I bet that boy, as he's sitting there and he said, you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm not worthy to be called a son. I've sinned against my dad. He's afraid, right? And as he starts walking, I'm, I'm sure he had his head down. I'm sure he, was, I, I, he didn't know how his dad was going to respond. He didn't know what would happen. I'm sure he had fear in his, in his heart. But not only that, not only fear, I bet another thing going on inside that boy was I bet he was ashamed. I mean, when you, the Bible says he squandered what his daddy gave to him. His daddy gave him a rich inheritance, and it was gone. He wasted it all. And, we, and, I, and probably some of us in this room, you know what it's like for your mom and daddy to give you something. You wasted it. You, you squandered it. And so I bet not only is he going back with fear and how daddy's going to respond, he's also going back with a lot of shame that I, I blew what my daddy gave me. I, I'm not worthy to be called his son. And what does the dad do? Jesus gives us this picture of a, of a father who runs after him and he, with compassion. I love that word. Compassion. He grabs a hold of his son and read the rest of the story. It's a beautiful story because the son does exactly what he planned to do. Right? I mean, he had a plan. He had a little speech plan, and he does his whole speech. Father doesn't even pay attention. The the Bible says that the dad he saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, "Father, daddy, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." And the father doesn't even respond to him. He says, he says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. The boy probably wasn't wearing nothing. He says, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. It's the picture of some kid that was in the drift and he came home. It's the picture of somebody who was far away from God and he finally came home. And what did he come home to? Not a God who was mad. Not a daddy who was ashamed. And if, listen, you're in church today to listen to the words of Jesus, not this teacher, okay? You're here today to listen to the words of Jesus. Brenna, let me tell you about your, your daddy God for a minute, okay? No matter how far you ever run away from him, listen to me, girl. No matter how far you ever run away from him, when you come back home to him, he will always love you. He's not mad at you. He's not ashamed of you. No matter what you do, he will always love you. That's who he is. You know, we're here today to worship a God who's not mad at us. He's not ashamed of us. He just wants us to come home. And whenever we start to drift away, he just wants, he likes having us. Home with him, right? How cool is that? But that boy had to come to his senses. Just real quickly, one of the reasons that we started this church here in Henry County is because we know that God is trying all different ways to work behind all the scenes to get people's attention, and one of the ways he does that is through churches like ours. And you know what we try to do around here all the time? Listen, this is not, <laughs> you don't have to be here long to figure this one out. This church ain't about power, hallelujah. This church ain't about politics, ain't nobody playing politics around this place. This church ain't about prestige. I mean, you can come to this church, wear a tank top and shorts. I mean, it's not about that stuff. This church, we, there's kind of one, one, one high thing that we've said we're all about when it comes to leadership, and that word is authenticity. We're going to be real. And as far as the ministry we do, the number one thing we said our core value is God's word because God's word teaches us true life. It teaches us the way God goes. And we started this church, listen, we started this church so that folks who were far off from home could learn that there's a God who loves them so much that they could be forgiven and washed clean. He's not mad at them. He's not ashamed of them. That's why we started this church And this church exists to be a home for people where they can come back. Just come on back to God. Come on back. And in this church, like praise the Lord, so many other great churches here in Henry County. We've got some phenomenal, healthy, life-giving churches here in Henry County. This church is here to help give comfort, to help give encouragement strength and knowledge around God's word, to grow children, to grow youth, to grow adults to be like Jesus, and it's here, listen, maybe, maybe this is hugely important for us, it's here for when we mess up, and we, every one of us, we will, we talked about this last week, we will sin, we will make mistakes, it's here for us to come back, bow a bended knee, and say, Daddy, I'm coming home again, wash me, wash me, and you know what God does every time, every time we come back home to Him, every time He celebrates, Every time he says, put the best robe on him, put the sandals on his feet, put the ring on his, on his or her finger, my lost son is now found again. Isn't that cool to know? Listen, I, I just want to tell you, as your pastor, you will never hear me talk bad about the local church. You'll never hear, sometimes I'm critical of clergy, sometimes I'm critical of, of, of people in my own profession who have hurt other people. And, and listen, I'm always going to be that way. Because clergy, the Bible talks about overseers and shepherds of the church, and the bar is high. We have a lot to be held to account for in how we lead people for Jesus Christ. But you will never hear me be critical of a local church, because I love all kinds of churches. I've I've served large churches, and I've served, I remember my first church I was ever given, 42 people, Clay, that first Sunday. I'd never been in a church that small. For 42 people, I was like, hey, we all know each other. You know, this is kind of cool. I love all kinds of churches. I preached at Lim United Methodist Church in, in Seoul, Korea, a church that's got 157,000 people. And, I, and, I, and I, right across the street was Yo Edo Full Gospel Church, 850,000 people in that church. I love the big church, and I love the small church. I mean, we got churches with 10 people in them, and, I, and you know what? When those 10 people go to that church, that's home for them, hallelujah. That's their spiritual home. That's where they connect in with God. I love all kinds of churches. I love the, I love the old kind of Coptic churches that are all into the religious iconography, and, you know, and all those images. That's cool. Hallelujah. That helps you connect in with God. That's really awesome. And yet I love the Pentecostal churches that have the church van going down the road, and, and they got to put fire, fire, fire three times in their name. I mean, you know, it's like, hallelujah. Yeah, go Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm all about that too. But here's the deal. There is no reason for everybody to ever speak ill of a local church, because the, the local church, everywhere, every time you pass a local church, you're passing by a little homestead where people can come home to God. You hear me? That's what it's about. You can give the Lord a hand clap of praise. That's what God's doing in the local churches. And, and that's why the local, the local church, not the <laughs> Jason, Patrick, not the federal government, right? y'all work for the federal, not the federal government. The federal government is not the hope of the world. It's not. Government and, and, and our flag, we're all about America. We are. But you know what? At the end of the day, the local, local church and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And I will give my life and my time and my sacrifices to make sure that we have a home for people to come home. And that's why we built this place. You know, praise God that it's beautiful and nice and all that. At the end of the day, it's just a place. just a home. And every home looks different. Some of them are mansions, some of them are shacks. Every home looks different. Large churches, small churches, Pentecostal churches, you know, frozen chosen, it don't matter. It don't matter, right? What every one of those churches are are, is a place for people to come home to God. Well, you know, you're sitting in this one today, and sometimes people come to Harvest Point and they go, this really is a United Methodist Church? And we're like, yeah, it's kind of different. You know, it ain't your grandma's United Methodist Church, that's for sure. You know, and we got contemporary music, and sometimes you'll see a drama here, you know, and dance, and we're a different kind of Methodist Church, and we got technology and all that. You know what? Listen, we got drums. <laughs> okay, but, uh, but here's what you need to know about, uh, about the church. The church, if it was the place today where God was getting your attention and God was saying, come home. Here's the big question that I want to close with. What would it take for you to come to your senses? And you know, maybe one of the most important questions you'll ever be asked in your life is that question. What's it going to take for you to come to your senses and come back to God? Listen, I hope you have spiritual ears because the next five minutes might be the most important five minutes of somebody's life in this room. God is always working behind the scenes to get your attention. Some of us in this place, you know today. You know today you're far from home. You know you've drifted. You know you've gone a long, long, long ways away. And you're here today to hear a very simple message spoken thousands of years ago by a Jewish rabbi who was the son of God to say, you know what the kingdom's like? You want to get a picture of who your daddy God is? If you take a step towards him, he will run to you. James 4.8, you take a step, he will run towards you. He's not mad at you, he's not ashamed of you, he just wants you to come home. And today would be maybe the most important day where you'd say, you know what? Jesus, I'm coming home. And you take the first step. The first step. And it's okay if you have your head bowed and you're, and you're a little ashamed, you're a little fearful. It's okay. You just take the first step. And you say, "Day, I'm going home. I'm going home. And you know, for some of us in this room, you remember a moment where you went home. You remember a moment where your dad put the robe on you and and He's forgave you of what you did. You remember that moment where you say, you know what, that was the day I really became a son or a daughter of the king. That was the day I gave my life to Christ. But you're sitting in a church today, and it might have been 10 years or 20 years or three months ago, and yet still, you still, now you're far away from God again. And you know, you want religious lingo or, or church lingo, sometimes people call, they call it, you know, backslidden, maybe you've heard that before, you know, you, 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 you were with home and then you found a way to leave home again. Some people do that over and over again with God. They, they, they come back home and they leave again. They come back home and they leave again. But here's another religious lingo, and it's a more important lingo than that other one that I never use, that backslidden thing. Here, here's a better lingo. There are folks all the time who say, you know what, I know what it's like to be home. I know what it's like to go away from home and to come back again. I've done it a lot. I'm going home again, and they call it rededicating their life to Jesus Christ. I'm coming home again. Today, I'm remembering, I'm remembering. That's my home. I'm going home. And if you were here today and you said, Stephen, how can I go home? I'd tell you three things, and I'm going to make them very brief. I'm going to throw up on the screen. You're welcome to write them down, or you don't even have to write them down. You can just listen to them. The first step for going home like that boy is you admit that you have a need, and you say, you know what? I, what I've been doing ain't right. And I've been thinking I was in control of everything, all the goings on. You know, I have a need. And there's something going on at my daddy's house and in my home, my spiritual home, where there's food there and there's rest there and there's love there and there's comfort. And I need that. And you admit you have a need. I like to put it this way. You admit that there is a king and it ain't you, okay? You say, you know what? There's a king. There's a Lord. There's a Savior. There's a Messiah and I ain't him. Step number one, you going home today, is you saying, you know what, I admit that I have a need, that I can't meet that need. St. Augustine said it this way. Listen, one of the great saints of the church said it this way. There is a God-shaped hole in every one of us that can only be filled by him. And what Augustine was saying was, there is a need deep inside of every one of us that can only be filled by a loving heavenly Father, will you admit that need and say, I'm going home because there's a place in my heart that only God can fill. That's step number one. You know, step number two is, is what I call surrender. And it's what any Christ follower will, will do. They'll, they'll surrender. They'll, I, love, I love the image of, of, of when a robber comes in, uh, it's a bad image. He comes in and and, and, he, and he says, "Stick him up!" And you, what do you do? You go, "Whoop whoop!" You know, you raise up your hands, right? You raise up your hands. Raising of hands is just a universal symbol of surrender, right? Surrender. In our culture, it's it's gotten to be way more than that. But at, in this, what I want you to get in the spiritual sense is this: it's a surrender. And if you want to know the second step, the going back is just saying, "I'm going to surrender control. I'm going to surrender to control." to a God who has a grand purpose for my life. Surrender control. It's simple, by the way, to surrender control to God. Did you know that? Did you know that children do this? Little nine and ten-year-olds do this. They say, God, I love you. I give you my life. And that's a beautiful thing. And it doesn't have to be complicated for you to surrender and say, I give you my life. Here's a third one. Just a third one. Tell somebody. Tell somebody. You know what I've learned in my life? I've learned that lasting change only happens in my life when normally when I tell somebody about what, what, that, what has happened in my life. And you really want to see change in your life? You really want to be home with God? You really want to see yourself back in God's house? Then you say, okay, you, you go tell somebody what God's done in your life. You go open your mouth up and you say, listen, I came back home. When you do that, lasting change happens. Wow, I've, I've probably preached too long today, but I want to pray a prayer. I want to pray a prayer, and I just want to invite, if, if anybody here today, and you've you felt the whisper of God calling you home, and you want to come home today, you want to give God your life, I'm, I'm going to give you that opportunity. And I'm also going to give you that opportunity, if you've been home, and you know what it's like to live in the house of God, and yet you've drifted, and it's time for you to rededicate your life, I'm going to give you that opportunity too. So would you just bow your heads for a minute? Would you give your neighbor the privacy that they deserve right next door to you? If you're homesick, if you've wandered away from God's house and if you want to come home today, if you want God to wash you and cleanse you of your sin and you just want to come back into your father's house and you want to say, God, I'm sorry. I want want to be back in your home again. Would you... Wash me clean and bring me into your home. Would you just raise up your hand if that's you? Wow, thank you, thank you. Good gracious, all over this place. Hallelujah. Probably 25 folks right now, just raise your hand. Hallelujah. Let's pray that prayer together, okay? Jesus, today I'm taking a step home. I want to admit that I have a need that only you can fill. I just want to ask you, would you start running towards me right now, even as I'm walking towards you? I want want to give you control, and I want to surrender my life to you. I want to ask you to wash me clean and bring me home and love on me. I've tried to do it my way, and my way stinks. It fails every time. I give you my life today, Jesus. Come into me. Save me. Save me from myself. Give me eternal life and a purpose and a destiny. Thank you, Jesus. Today, I give you my past, my present and my future, live in me, live through me today, Jesus. I am home in you. I am home in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're doing that in those people's lives right now. Is there anybody here today that you've wandered away and, and yet you wanna, you're, you're thinking to yourself, I want to rededicate my life today. I want to come back home. I've been home, I want to come back home. You re- I see hands already going up. You want to rededicate your life today, do that. Raise your hand up right now, if you will, Wow, thank you. Rededicating your life to Jesus Christ, to follow him. Let's pray that prayer. Jesus, today, I know what it's like to walk close to you, and I know what it's like to get away from you. Today, I am committing myself, I'm dedicating myself back to being, walking beside you, trying to pray daily, walk with you daily, live for you daily. Would you today purify me from all my sin. Would you today put your arms around me and remind me that you never left me. I'm the one who left you. And today, here, Lord, hear hear my commitment. I want to walk side by side with you. Give me strength. Give me power. Give me encouragement. Give me direction. And I will follow you, Jesus. I give you my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. God, I thank you for the life change that we're seeing happen in all of our lives, Lord. And We just ask you, let your word bear fruit in our life. And this week, Lord, help us to walk with you and journey with you and help us to live for you. Help us to open up this book and and just pull from it the truths of what life is really like in your kingdom living. And Lord, I pray that every one of us, you would walk beside us, you'd whisper in our ear, and that you'd let your good pleasure dwell over our lives, that we would be followers of you, Jesus who are walking in the light that leads to light. I pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Can you say amen, church? Amen. Amen. Hey, what's it doing? What's time? <laughs> it's raining. Hey, if you'll hang out for a minute, moms and dads, we're going uh, to give you about one minute to run out that side door. Go check out your children and bring them back. And while we do that, we're going to bring a big ribbon up here. I want to invite the um, building committee... I, I want to invite the uh, the uh, folks.